you would bow with me. Father, we thank you for this study today. We pray that it would be life-changing for us. We don't ever want to sit before your word where we're not transformed. We need your help with that. It's clear throughout Mark's gospel that unless you enable us, we will never, ever be able to do what you call us to, to believe and to hope and to trust in you and to repent and to walk in obedience. And we just pray that you would help us today, that we would be quick to hear, that we would, our hearts would be ready to receive what you have for us. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> Some of you um, have, uh, maybe with your kids, you don't want them to have a bad example in life. You may uh, think, I'm going to try to keep them away from negative examples because uh, I want them to have only positive ones. Well, you have to keep them away from the Bible if you want them to only have positive examples. Because the Bible is filled with negative and positive uh, examples. Um, and for our children, it's important for them to see that. Sometimes uh, I'll tell my boys when I'm in a humble state, which is probably rare, but I'll say, like, there's things about me that you're going to look at later and be like, no, he, he didn't live out what he said he believed, or he struggled with this or with that. And I think that's uh, true of any person when they're in the right state. One of the things about their gospel writers that's really neat is they don't, um, like, turn away from the blunders of life or, or like, uh, sweep those under the rug. You know, sometimes you'll meet a, a, fan, a parent or a, somebody that's trying to protect their child in some way, and so they look past all the things, which can be good, but can really be bad because they can't really see it for what it is because for whatever reason they're blinded to it. The Holy Spirit has helped the disciples later understand this because when you read the gospel writers, they understand that there are things that they have struggled with and areas that you would say you'd be ashamed of, you know, for what you've done. And so hopefully today you'll see that. You'll see the positives, the negatives, and take uh, some, some knowledge away from that. You'll see Christ's humiliation, his glory. Uh, you'll see the disciples looking for glory, and then you'll see one man who says, Lord, all I want you to do is show me mercy. And all of that's kind of in this study, and so hopefully it will help you. So if I were kind of writing a framing it out in my mind, I'd say, this is what I'd want to come away with. May we seek mercy from our Lord as we follow him in humiliation, awaiting glory. Because that's kind of where we, that's where we are. We're, we're walking, following our Savior, crying out for mercy, awaiting the future, the glory that will come. So look at the humiliation, which we've seen. This, this is the third time Jesus has talked about this. And it says, and they were on the road, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve, he began to tell them what was hap to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. So Jesus is on the road. I mean, that's important to understand. He knows the road that he's on, and he's on the road. 
I mean, you could think about something that you wanted to go, maybe, or you didn't want to go somewhere, but you knew you had to go. There's a road that you have to walk. It's not necessarily the, a road you want to walk. He's facing a great difficulty, and he's on the road. He's leading the way. He's not dragging his feet. He is willingly traveling down the road that the Lord has. Uh, he has been called, the Father has told him to go down. It was been set from the beginning of time, before time, before earth, before any of those things. It says he's going, they're going up. It's a 3,500 foot climb. So they're going up to Jerusalem. But he is going to go up to Jerusalem, up to the cross. He is going to go up and then down. And we need to understand that and grasp that. So he is not trying to get away from the work. He willingly goes and he sets the pace there. If you've ever ran with people who are the pace setter, that's what Jesus is. He is walking down the trail and he is the trail blazer. He is the one that's cutting the way, carving the path. He's the example for them to follow. He knows where he's going and they're, dwell, they're going, you know, they've been in the countryside. They've been struggling through that and what you find in the countryside is that there's animosity. There are people that come from Jerusalem. There's troubles that they've faced along the way. But now they're going to the hotbed of Judaism. It would be like going to, I don't know, Washington, D.C. in the midst of the heat of a race. Because they're coming after him. And they're coming after him in, in a shocking way. I listened to a book this last week about uh, one of our uh, federal justices. And, and, the, and he he talked about like being under the microscope and then attacking, 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 and how hard it was. Jesus knew what he was about to face, but it was much harder than someone just trying to uh, take you out in, in the sense of like getting an office. It's much more difficult than that. And he's going to go there, and he's willing to go there. And like I said, he's setting the pace there. When he goes, he will be delivered over the chief priests, the Sanhedrin, the high priest court, Really, that a lot of people would say, like, they are an example, generally, we're an example of a great court, but not in this case. Um, the scribes and the, the, the high court officials, they will seek to destroy him by making up people. They'll bring all of these false witnesses. Nobody will agree, and they'll still condemn him to death. And then he's going to go before the Gentiles, and he is going to die <clears throat> he will be mocked, flogged, and killed with them. And we'll, we'll study those things. But we know that that's coming. That's the road that he's on. That's the road he's willingly on. Jesus knows what he's going to do, and he's willing to do it. But it's not the end of the story. He is going to rise again. You know, the Scripture says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So he, he's willingly doing it. He's going to come out on the other side. He is going to... His perfect death uh, will defeat all of our enemies. And we have great hope there. So we see His humiliation and His glory. But then, in the midst of this, He keeps telling the disciples, in a way you think it would prepare them. They'll be ready to go, to, to enter in with Jesus, following in His footsteps. And so, as you move forward in verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Him and said, Teacher, we want You to do for us whatever we ask of You. Whatever we ask. Have you ever had a kid say that? Just answer me. Just do whatever you ask. Without any, you kind of, you're like Jesus did here. What do you want? Because in my house, sometimes it'll be like, 
that, you know, will you get me something, whatever I ask for Christmas? And you're like, hmm, no. So you want them to tell you kind of what's going on. Um, yesterday, uh, I had one of my kids say, would you give me, what, in a way, whatever I ask in the way? Because he said, psst, psst, let's go to Naaman's. He wanted to go to Naaman's. Let's go to Naaman's. I'm like, Naaman's? You know, and then, so we ended up going to Naaman's. But, <laughs> only because I wanted to go. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's important, though, when we're looking at this, we understand that that kind of thing happens. And uh, when we're looking at it and we're considering it and we're thinking about it, we see that these disciples, they've kind of went up. They wanted his ear. They want the place of greatest honor, which a seat at Naaman's in Texarkana may be something like that, right? <laughs> no. They wanted this place of great honor. They want to be... Um, the ones that everyone will look at, that will, they'll come to. They want to be right beside Jesus on his right and on his left. Have you ever been like that? You may want that for your children. Them to have the place of highest honor. Always first. Always have the biggest whatever. You may have spent your life trying to think about that. Both for yourself and for them. And it's a frightening place to be. Because um, that's not the road that the disciples were to be on. That's not the road that the Messiah was on. That's not the road that a Christian is on. A Christian is not seeking to live his life to build himself and himself only. He's striving to serve and to bless. And he said to them, what do you want from me? And they said that they wanted those things. And it's interesting when you look at that, um, if you were to study in another gospel, their mother was there. He doesn't highlight that, but again, their mother was there. We want. And we're family. You know we're family? We want them to be in that place. What a strange place to be, to consider knowing he's going to the cross and asking to be at this place of glory. Knowing what's looming over him. It says that there were people frightened and nervous about what was taking place, but they don't seem to be. Somehow in their minds, they still wanted the kingdom. They wanted to wear the crown. But they didn't know wearing the crown was not without the cross. And that's something we, suffer, we struggle with, we battle with throughout our whole lives. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the water with which I'm baptized? What's the cup? I mean, you probably understand the cup is God's wrath. The cup is God's wrath. He will drink God's wrath in its fullness for all who will believe. Who will drink God's wrath in its fullness in Revelation? All those who rejected the Lord. So Jesus is going to drink the cup of God's wrath. The baptism here is the, 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 the waters of judgment that he will pass through. That's the picture here. It's the spiritual suffering with an infinite cost. Something that you and I could never understand. But what Jesus says is, even like about that cup, he prays, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will but your will be done. 
He knows that if there's any other way, he would want that way. It was not just the physical suffering on the cross, it was the spiritual, infinite spiritual suffering that he faced on the cross. Verse 39 and 40. And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. So as you're thinking about that, he's, he's saying, listen, y'all will experience trouble. You will experience this difficulty. You, James, and John. In Acts 12.2, it says James, the brother of John, was killed with a sword. In the end of Revelation, Revelation 1.9, we need know that John is put on Patmos. That's where he ends up. And it's important, I think, to note that. And they're going to drink some of that. They're going to face suffering. Uh, but they're not in the place of being on the right and the left. Those were for these two horrible criminals who would set one of them turning to Jesus, the other one blaspheming Jesus, kind of. And so I think it's just important to understand that. So verse 41, and when the ten heard of it, now this is an interesting thing, this secret conversation with Jesus and these other two, the ten heard of it, and they're indignant. And why would they be upset? Because they didn't think of it first, maybe? Be like, why didn't I think of that? If I could have gotten in that place. I mean, they, they, they see him like um, Jesus is, is facing this in this situation, and really, they didn't want a round table. They wanted to be in the place of highest honor. And the, and the other disciples are angry with them because they think, why would they want to be above us? Why are they looking to have the crown? Why do they want to be first? Rather than, why, why can't we just be equals, you know? Verse 42, but we know they've all been struggling with that because they want glory. They do not want the humility. They want the glory. And so you might look at your own life and think, is my life more characterized about the glory or the humiliation? How do I deal with that? Do I think of Christianity more about the glory or the humiliation of following Jesus in his footsteps. Verse 42, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. When you say Gentiles here, he's saying like the wicked people of the world. They want the place of highest honor. The wicked people of the world, they want to be in the place where everything is... Um, they get it all. They control everyone. Uh, they're in authority and they'll make sure. They'll keep you in check. That's how the wicked work in the world. If you remember in 1 Samuel 8, remember when the, I mean, where the, uh, the children of Israel were like, we want a king like the nations. Give us a king like the nations. And God said, they've rejected me as king, Samuel. I'll tell you what kind of king they'll get. He'll abuse them. He will hold his power over them. He'll be the one like holding the strings. He'll take their children. He'll take their land. He'll take their uh, 10% of what they make. He will take it all. He's going to build his own kingdom, his own glory. He will put them to war. Just know that. That's the kind of king. That's what they want and that's what they'll get. But Jesus says, God's kingdom doesn't look like the kingdom of this world. And it's backwards. Men like status and prestige and power and wealth and success and acceptance. That's not what the kingdom's like. 
Y'all need to understand that and grasp that. He says, but it shall not be among you, but whoever would be great among you will be your servant, and whoever would be first among you, slave of all. You see that? Is that the way you think about your life? The life for your kids? What you want for them? Your dreams and aspirations? Make them the greatest servant. Is that what you pray? God, may they give their lives in service. May they bless others. May they put their lives down in sacrificial service. May they be like the Apostle Paul who was poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of those people's faith. Is that what you pray? Is that what you model? That's a question you need to kind of continually question yourself about. The way to greatness is service. It's an inverted triangle. Leadership is holding the pressures of others on yourself and push, propelling them up to try to make them better. He is serving them. He is the preeminent servant. And He is calling the disciples to serve. And Paul, Paul says in Philippians 2, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one... Let, let each one of you, look not only for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Have the mind in yourselves that's in Christ Jesus. Lay your life down. That leads to verse 45. Because that's kind of one of those examples. What does that look like? For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. They are followers. Disciples. That's the road the Son of Man's an interesting title, though. We've talked about it, but Daniel 7, 13, and 14 speak of the Son of Man having dominion and glory and a kingdom and peoples and nations and languages all serving Him. How do you reconcile the Son of Man and the suffering servant? That was really tough for everybody. And it will be tough for you as you think about it. He is God he is the Messiah. The kingdom belongs to Him. And yet, He is the suffering servant of Isaiah. In Isaiah, it says, but He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him, this chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. That, that's, that's the picture. He has this glory, but He is facing suffering. He is going to experience it. He is going to be a ransom. What's a ransom? I'm going to read a couple of things to you. Ransom is a payment to release someone from some kind of bondage. Prisoners of war could be ransomed. A slave could be ransomed. Somebody's debt could be ransomed. So the implication is Jesus' death is a ransom to release people from bondage he, he was paying what they could not pay as a substitute he was by the way a willing substitute Jesus taught that the penalty of sin was eternal punishment so you know what he did he took on the penalty of sin eternal punishment upon himself so that if you are here today and you're outside of Christ you are dead in your trespasses and sins if you were to die today you would bust hell wide open if that's where you are today still like kind of outside of Christ, still on the edges of like embracing Him with no hope in this world, 
He is your only hope. There was only one way to be accepted into God's family. It's for your sins to be paid for by the Son of God. So whose sins were paid for? The Scripture says, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. He says that he will lay down his life for his friends. You say, well, how do you become a friend of Jesus? What does it mean? He says in John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And then the question is, well, how can I do that? The way to be able to do that. It's not, it's not how you become a friend that we're talking about. It's, it's really the act of being a friend is that you would want to do what would be pleasing to the Lord. And the way that you experience a, a heart that is wanting to be pleasing to the Lord is you're ransomed. You're bought out of the slave market of sin. You're leaving your bondage. The ransom is what frees you and empowers you to do what Jesus commands. You must be ransomed. John 6.37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. All who come to Jesus are those who have been ransomed. And they come to Jesus believing upon Him and trusting Him and resting in Him. They cry out to Him for mercy because they are born again. Uh, John 1.12 and 13 says, As many as receive Him, to them He's given the right to become children of God, who were born not by the blood, uh, by blood or by their own will, but by God. First Peter says you, uh, that God caused us to be born again. When He causes you to be born again, you are one who wants to do for Jesus. You want to serve Jesus. You want to live for Jesus. You're a friend of Jesus. And so I think it's important just to understand that. Jesus came to ransom His friends. All that the Father gave to Him, they will come. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and come to me they will follow the lord jesus it, it is done by the new birth john chapter 3 jesus said to nicodemus you must be born again so rather than seeking glory you'll seek humility and followed following humility you'll receive glory that's kind of the way you'd want to see that so the last uh, section here bartimaeus seeks mercy in verse 46 and 47, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd came. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road, and when he heard that it was the Jesus of Nazareth, he cried out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know what he's saying? Jesus, King. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the hope of the nations. Jesus, the one who will rescue us from our sins. He cries out, oh, you have mercy on me. I have no hope in anything else. I'm a blind beggar. I'm empty-handed. I'm broken. I'm, I'm like lost. I'm without hope. Have mercy on me. The disciples wanted glory. This man wants mercy. What, what about you? If you want glory, you probably think you earn it. You've earned it. You've earned it. But if you want mercy, you realize you have nothing to earn it. You have nothing to bring to the table. You're hopeless. You're helpless. You're needy. 
And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Have mercy on me! Help me! I don't have anything to bring. I'm a blind beggar. Please help me. Recently, I was in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I was driving down the road and I saw this young lady who was blind. It looked like she was attending the campus. And later, we parked and we were at a place by a bookstore. And there was a bus that was kind of near a bookstore and she stepped out. And she had this phone and this and her stick, and she's moving along, but she's clearly like disoriented. I, I just, I, I, I sat there for a moment, not wanting to bother her because I wanted her to. She was, I thought she was going to do it, and I didn't want to bother her, you know. But then after a, a little bit, I thought I, I need to speak to her, and I said, "Excuse me, ma'am, is there? Could I help you?" And she said, "There's this confusing street." I stepped off and I can't find it. And I thought in the moment, I thought, man, if I could just be like Jesus and like just give her her eyes, what would that be like? All I could do was just let her put her arm around me and walk her to that road. And I thought, this man in this place How hopeless was he? How how hopeless is your neighbor that's blind, that's spiritually blind, walking around this world in darkness? They they don't know. What, What if there were one that's just thinking all the time, somebody just have mercy on me? Do you ever want to speak to them and say, Lord, Let me speak truth to them. Let me speak the gospel to them. Let me speak life to them. This man cries out for help. Those people didn't really want him to be helped. But Jesus says, bring him to me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man. And guess what? He heard his voice. He heard his voice. And he didn't just sit there. He jumped up, left his cloak, ran to Jesus, if you will, as much as he could. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang and came to Jesus. Like I said earlier, John 10.27 says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Keep that in your mind. Verse 51. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. You see that? Here's his voice. He believes. And he follows. that's, That's what it is. That's the Christian life. Not... Make me something. Not make me something. It's, I have nothing. Just rescue me. How many friends, how many family members, how many people might you speak to them or bring to Jesus and He make them able to see?
He bring them to life. He give them ears to hear. What would that be like for you to be able to see that this year? Before the year's out, to see someone come. What if you humbled yourself? What if you walked the road of Christ, humbling yourself, walking the road to Calvary with Him, and along the way, reach out to those who are in desperate need? We don't want to be like James and John, at least in this moment, seeking glory. We want to be like Bartimaeus, seeking mercy. And we want to follow the path of saying, in our humility, may we serve and bless others as we have been blessed. We have repeated these themes over and over, but we need to repeat them to ourselves over and over. In light of the grace and mercy we've been shown with humble hearts, we want to follow him all the days of our life and guide others to do the same. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for wisdom. We ask for hearts to obey. We ask you that you would give us a new heart. If we are lost and dead in our sins, bring us to a faith. And as we walk this road, the road of the cross, may we look forward to the day where we too will wear a crown. And Lord, we ask that you would bless our people here with hearts that not only want to make it to the other side, but want to guide others in the same way. In Christ's name, amen.